Let me invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 5. If you turn to Romans 5, we're going to look at the first 11 verses this morning by way of introduction. We're actually going to study verses 12 to 21. But by way of introduction, if you look at Romans 5, and we'll read verses 1 to 11. It's a favorite text amongst Christians. It has been ever since it's been written. As Christians, we love this text of Scripture because not only does it exalt Christ in a unique way, it exalts Christ in such a way as to show us that we have certainty in Him, that we have a certain hope through faith in Christ. And so it is just an absolute treasure, a favorite amongst Christians because of its exalting Christ in a way that includes us and gives us certainty. As we prepare to read the first 11 verses, I would just encourage you to look for, to look for a pattern, to look for something that comes up over and over again, and that is Christ's relationship to us. Or put another way, the way the work of Christ benefits us, that He's dying for us, that He's living for us. So don't miss that as we read these verses. That's what makes them such a treasure to us. Listen now and follow along with me as I read God's Word. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, Though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Great text. Great text because it tells us about how great Christ is. And not only does it tell us about how great Christ is, it tells us about how great Christ, tells us about how great Christ is to us, in relationship to us. But there's a question. There's a question that comes up, not from every person, but from every audience it seems. Someone is going to ask the question, how can this be? More specifically, how can it be that one could live and die and rise again from the dead and benefit someone else. Not only that, how is it that one 
could live and die and rise again, not just for the benefit, not just for the righteousness of someone else, but for many, for all those who would ever believe. This is a question that comes up inevitably, invariably, when you're talking to people about Christ being our representative. If Christ did all of that for us, all those who would ever believe, how can that be? It's an important question. Paul anticipates that question, and that's what brings us to our text, which is Romans 5, 12 to 21. In Romans 5, 12 to 21, what I'm going to draw your attention to is what I will refer to as three lines of defense. He gives three lines of defense for the representative nature of Christ's work. Three lines of defense for the representative nature of Christ's work. We saw in that text that we read that we love so much in the first 11 verses about Christ dying for us. Our representative. Well, how can that be? He's now going to spend ten or so verses giving a foundation, uh, building, building an argument, if you will, building a defense. Here's how it can be. Here's how it can be that he can not only die in place of others, live in place of others, rise in place of others, but he can actually do it for many. By way of preview, let me preview those three now. Representation by Jesus, first of all, it's, it's nothing new. It's nothing new, and I'll explain that, but what I mean by that is uh, representation isn't anything new. We're going to see this in, the, in verses 12 to 14. It isn't anything new. The second line of defense for the representative nature of Christ's saving work, representation by Jesus is far superior to Adam. It is far superior to Adam or it is far superior to past representation. That's in verses 15 to 19. It might not make a lot of sense yet. I understand that. It's preview. And the third line of defense for the representative nature of Christ's saving work, representation by Jesus, is not forgetful of the law is not forgetful of the law or does not forget the law. And that's in verses 20 to 21. Once again, that might not make a lot of sense, but it will when we get there, I hope. Now, before jumping in, if I can just offer a few words to the wise, I'll begin by saying that we're going to see a lot about sin. In fact, every single verse talks about sin. The word to the wise is, don't lose sight of Jesus. Like so many other times in Romans and in other passages, we're learning a lot about sin so that we can see a lot about Christ and we can see how great Christ is. I can almost guarantee you we're going to lose sight of the forest by looking at the trees this morning at some point in time or another. But I'm telling you up front, we'll need to remember the big picture We'll need to remember we're learning all the stuff about sin because we need to see Christ as great. Just another bit of advice as far as a word to the wise. If I can encourage you in this passage, perhaps like in no other passage, <clears throat> pay attention to the big picture. Okay, Pay attention to the big picture. 
Now, that's always the case. We always talk about context. And, but this, this, is a, this is definitely a time to pay attention to the big picture. This passage has been referred to by many as the most difficult passage in the New Testament to interpret. Okay? I'll just tell you right now, I'm glad that my salvation isn't based upon sermons. Because <laughs> this won't be the best sermon you've ever heard in your life. And if my salvation depended upon it, I would be going to hell. <laughs> it's a tough go because it's a tough passage. I'll try to do my best in a short amount of time to explain the big picture over and over again. But I can tell you it's a tough passage. The most difficult book I've ever read, I think, in my life, at least one of them, is a little tiny book uh, called The Imputation of Adam's Sin by John Murray. And I've read it, I think, three times now. And I write things in the margin. I was just looking at it yesterday. Things like, my brain hurts. Okay? I mean, it, it, this is, this is a, a tough passage. That's all there is to it. But if you remember the big picture, in one sense you'll think, it wasn't very hard. Because the big picture isn't that hard. And I'll try to remind you of the big picture. And so if you just keep those things in mind, I think you'll have a better, better go of it, if you will, when you go back and read this on your own in two years and 20 years and 10 minutes. Well, let's go ahead now and, and, and look at this defense for Jesus doing all this great, great work for us. Number one, representation by Jesus is nothing new. That is to say, representation, the, the idea, the reality is nothing new. And look at verse 12 there where it says, Therefore... Logically connecting it, first and foremost, to the first 11 verses. Let me build an argument for this. Let me give you a greater foundation for this. You love the first 11 verses, uh, but it brings up the question, but let, let me deal with the question. How can this be? Therefore, just as through one man, Adam no doubt, as we will see in the context, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, and that doesn't help us very much. But if you would, notice the double dash, or depending on your translation, notice the colon. I would highlight that. I, I, I would circle that or something and draw an arrow down to verse 18. See, one of the reasons this is so hard is because Paul goes off on an apostolic tangent. Okay? If you just connect 12 to 18, you'll see this is just all about representation, and representation isn't anything new. Christ representing us isn't anything new because we were represented once before by Adam. And so let's just read it that way so we can keep it as simple as possible. This idea of representation isn't anything new. You read verse 12 and then you move down to verse 18 and it says, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, that looks a lot like verse 12, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. And verse 19 essentially says the same thing. There it is. What's so hard about this passage? <laughs> in one sense, nothing should be hard about it. And, and, and if you only write in your Bible once a year or whatever, this is the time to do it. I'm just going to save you some gray hair and some stress and just draw a line down there. And that's, that's the big idea. Hey, the first 11 verses, Jesus doing all of this for us, which is amazing. You know what? There's already been precedent. And the precedent is, Adam did something for us too. And it led to a, to a spiritual train wreck. He led us into sin as our representative. And now we have Jesus 
leading us into righteousness as our representative. And there's a whole lot in common between that first representative and that second representative. So it can be, and he's, he's almost assuming in the right sense, that we all know all about Adam. The problem is we don't really know all about Adam. But he's assuming, you know what, just, just remember Adam. And what happened with Adam? He represented you in the garden, and, and look what happened. It was successful in one sense. He successfully leaded you into death, led you into death. Now we have Jesus as a representative. In fact, you'll, you'll notice that's why he says in verse 12, just as, I emphasized it. Well, the just as is never concluded in verse 12 or even the verses that come right after, but it is concluded in verse 18 and following. So draw the line. You'll be glad you did, I think. Now, let's look at a cross-reference that might help a little bit. You might want to write it in your margin as well, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, we, we see a complementary kind of passage. So if you just turn over one book to the right, to the end of that book, and we have this discussion about Adam and Jesus as our leaders, as our two different leaders throughout history, as our two representatives. So if you look at verse 21... Of 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see there that it says, For since by a man came death... Did I tell you the wrong place? 1 Corinthians 15, right? All right. Verse 21, For since by a man came death, no doubt Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. It's the same kind of thing. And while we're there, why don't you go ahead and look at verse 45 as well, where it says, So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. And so we have two Adams. This is Adam theology, some people say. So we have the first Adam, we have the second Adam. The first Adam is Adam, and the second Adam is Christ. And we, going back to Romans chapter 5, we have this just-as comparison. So there's major similarities between the two. The analogy needs to be seen there. We've got one, one man leading us into sin. We've got another man leading us into righteousness as our representatives. And so I think the point is rather obvious. The point is rather simple. We're seeing Christ do all this for us, and it's, it's, it's precedented in one sense. It's a lot like what happened with Adam for bad, but now this time for good. In one sense, I wish it was over. Let's close in prayer. Uh, (laughs) but, But I want you to see it as that simple. And maybe what I'm about to do now is unnecessary. But we're going to push pause and talk about why this is so complicated. But I'm going to try to keep reminding you, you don't have to make it complicated. Okay? Representation. That's all it's talking about. Jesus clearly is our representative. Adam was clearly our representative. So there, there is precedent set, and so this makes sense. What I've been assuming in the things that I've been saying is this idea of representative. See, not everybody thinks that Adam was our representative. Not everybody thinks that. And there's all kinds of debate about whether or not uh, he's a representative as what they would call a federal head leading us, acting on our behalf? Or is there something else involved when it comes to leading the human race into sin? 
And so I want to take at least a little bit of time to just sort of scratch the surface on what some of the issues are to at least get you thinking a little bit um, just about the complexities of the issues and then we'll try to go back and make it simple again. The complexity of the issue is in verse 12 at the very end. At the very end, it says in those last three words, because all sinned. And that is the big issue. The big question is, what does that mean? Because all sinned. Now, I'm going to keep telling you, draw the arrow down to 18 and 19, and you'll learn what is meant by all sin. And look at the other verses. Look at the context, and it'll make sense. But let's pretend for a moment like we're not looking at the context. And some would not look at the context, I would suggest, and suggest to you that what this is talking about is the fact that each of us individually sin, and in a sense we all have our own little personal fall. Okay? That Adam wasn't our representative, is how it goes. And what happens is Adam was just a bad example. So Adam is a bad example, and then everyone who's come after him has followed his bad example, and we have all sinned, and they say that's what's being spoken of here, and we've all had our own little fall. And that's why everything is messed up. And that would be one view. That would be a view, by uh, some of you would know by name, the view of Pelagius, the 4th century British monk. Well, here's the problem with that. If, as the theory goes, we die because we individually sin, and that's what's being talk, talked about in Romans 5.12, there's a problem because some people die without actually individually sinning. Some people aren't actually ever born. They don't see the light of day. Or, they're, or they die when they're born. The view doesn't work for that reason. It can't just be we have our own personal fall because of our own personal rebellion, and that's what leads to death. Not to mention the fact that there's another big problem with the view that says that's just our own personal fall uh, one big problem is is this analogy, just as. Well, if it's we follow Adam, his bad example, and that leads to, to, to our death, if it's just as, that would mean we follow Jesus and that leads to our life. When the fact of the matter is, We don't follow Jesus and that leads to our life. He's our representative and He lives a righteous life for us and dies for us and rises for us. He does it all for us outside of us. What you would end up having is a salvation by works, which Pelagius embraced. So this makes, this is consistent. I just follow Adam's bad example and that leads to trouble. But instead, to overcome that, I'm going to follow Jesus' example and that's going to lead to eternal life. Well, it doesn't work for Christianity. It doesn't work for Romans because the Bible is clear that we don't earn our own salvation. It comes to us only by God's grace based upon what is done outside of us. It's a free gift. Even 5.15 calls it the free gift. Let's move on to another perspective of this passage. But by the way, again, if you only isolate those three words in verse 12, I think you could be a Pelagian because all sin. But if you pay attention to the context, I don't think you're going to be a Pelagian. As a matter of fact, let's see that it's all tied to one act, not all of our acts. 
Whatever he means by because all sinned will be made clear in the context. In the context over and over again is it's only one act by Adam, one act by Adam, one act by Adam. Look with me if you would, verse 15. In verse 15, halfway through, it says, For by the, by the transgression of the one, the many died. Verse 16, halfway through, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. Verse 17, by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Verse 18, so then as through one transgression that resulted in condemnation to all men. Verse 19, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. You see the pattern. To suggest that the end of verse 12, because all sinned, is talking about all of our individual many, 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 many sins, which we actually commit, to suggest that's what's being spoken of in Romans 5, doesn't fit the context because it's the one act by the one man leading to the death of the many. That's over at least five times in the verses that follow. Am I losing you? Well, maybe, and if you need to check out, you can, and it's no doubt just because of my lack of clarity, but we're still struggling with what this idea is. The Pelagian idea doesn't really work at all. I've been arguing that it's this representative nature that is what's spoken of here, what theologians call the federal headship of Adam. He represented us, and in that sense, we all sin because he led us into sin as Christ as our representative leads us into righteousness. It's true we do sin, but I don't think that's what's being spoken of in Romans 5, 12. Let's look at one other view and then let's talk about what the representative view would benefit or have for us. There's another perspective on what 5, 12 says, and that is, we're connected to Adam. We all sinned in the sense that we're all biologically connected to Adam. Now, is that true? It's absolutely true. We're all biologically connected to Adam. First man, first woman. They have babies and one thing leads to another and here we are. And not only that, they, they, they lived in a cursed world as a result of sin. And not only that, there's an effect on the created order because of sin and their bodies are dysfunctional because of sin. And we've been, if you will, reaping the benefits, the non-benefits ever since. So surely we are connected to them physically, biologically. Absolutely the case. But is that, what, is that what's being spoken of in Romans 5? Is that what is meant by because all sin in Romans 5, 12? And I would suggest to you that I don't think so. I don't think that's the idea that is in view here at all for a couple of reasons, and I'm not going to try to exhaust this. I can give you stacks of reading if you would like. One reason would be because Adam surely didn't just commit one sin. There was definitely the big one. But if we're biologically connected to him and the fall is biological in connection, what about all the other sins? Are those somehow been passed on to us and given to us as well and we have guilt for all of his sins? But if that's the case, why does he keep talking about the one sin in our text? I mean, just to give you another kind of off-the-wall reason, what about Eve? You could build a pretty strong case in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve sinned first. But the emphasis in the Bible over and over again is it's Adam, 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 Adam. 
And that's because Adam is the representative. Adam is the head of the human race. And we're not tied to him physically leading to corruption, even though we are tied to him physically. He is the representative. And that brings us to look at the representative view a little bit more detail, in a little bit more detail. The representative view is what one writer referred to as the classic Protestant position. So I like to say that. I'm representing the classic Protestant position. I don't think it was the physical connection, even though we have a physical connection. I don't think we all have our own personal falls. I think that like Jesus, our representative, who we're not connected to physically, like Jesus, we have Adam as our representative, who by nature of sin and sin nature, it's not tied to physical nature. It's tied to the fact He's our representative. He acted on our behalf. He led the human race into sin. Jesus led us into righteousness. He acted on our behalf. And this comes out again with those two words in verse 12, just as. So whatever our relationship to Christ is like, our relationship to Adam needs to look like it. So when you look at just as in verse 12, and then you drop down to verse, let's say, look down there with me if you would, to 14. Adam, who was a type of him, was to come. Somehow they're the same. Then verse 18, we've already looked at it, but look at it again. So then as through one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. 19 says essentially the same thing. The just as tells us, however we're related to Christ, We're related to Adam. Well, I'm related to Christ because outside of me, distant from me, separate from me, He acted for me. Just as Adam, separate from me, outside of me, as the federal head, to borrow theological terms, acted on my behalf and led the human race into sin. So I think this is the, the most consistent. I think it's the, 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 the most contextual view to say it's representative. It's not biologic. It's not by example. It is a representative act by Christ, by Him. As one writer says, there can only be one explanation. All died because all sinned in and through Adam, the representative or federal head of the human race. There's a lot more involved. There are a lot more issues. Some of you are thinking, why did we need to know that? Well, there are are all kinds of issues related to this. How did we become sinners? But I'm going to stop. So hopefully I've uh, whetted your appetite a little bit, maybe to learn a little bit more, to think a little bit more. We're not going to look at all the different implications this morning. But let me encourage you and challenge you to not read verse 12 out of context because then who knows where it's going to end with trying to think through what does it mean because all sinned. Keep it in the big picture because all sinned just as Christ. Outside of us, representative. Adam, outside of us, representative. doesn't mean there aren't issues. It doesn't mean it's not complicated because I think it is. 
but I think it'll help keep you on the right track in understanding Christ and understanding Adam, not bringing Christ down or not elevating Adam. Well, let's get, let's get back at it and get back to simplicity and see there's, there's further argument for this. When we get to verse 13, this, this representative nature of Adam is, is not something that's unprecedented or of Christ. It's not uh, unprecedented. Look at verse 13 with me if you would. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. If you stop and think, this is not complicated. 12 was complicated. 13 isn't. For until the law, that's going to be the time of Moses when God gives the law. Until that time, sin was in the world. So from the time of Adam and the fall to the time of Moses, the giving of the law, sin was in the world. No debate about that. Okay, we understand that. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. What does he mean by that? Well, during that time when there is no Mosaic law, no, no direct revelation from God in legal form, there's no violation against the Mosaic law. Sin isn't imputed. There, there, there's, no, there's no accounting of, uh, of sin against the Mosaic law because there isn't one. That's all he's saying. During that time frame, there's no direct revelation from God saying, here's what you do, here's what you don't do in, in, in the sense that we have after Moses comes. Keep thinking, keep tracking. It's not that complicated. He goes on to say then, based upon that in verse 14, nevertheless, death during that time reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. How could this be? How can it be that during the time between Adam and Moses, there's no violation of Mosaic law because there is no Mosaic law. How can it be that death reigned as a tyrant during that time? How can it be that those who were born died? Adam. Representative. That's how it can be. Adam led the human race into sin. That's why. That's all. This just is further evidence of the fact that what Adam did affected everyone. Representation is in view. That's all. Death reigned as this tyrant because of Adam. Headship. Now, if you haven't thought it by now, you're maybe thinking... Is that fair? Or maybe you're even thinking, that's not fair. Somewhere along the line when you talk about headship and representation, the question always comes up. And I'm not here to defend God. I just know that God clearly deals with the human race through representatives. Two in particular. Adam. Second Adam, Jesus. That's how God has chosen to do it. It must be the best way to do it. And so that's what we have. And that's what we have. Never mind the fact that nobody complains about Jesus being a representative, even though it had nothing to do with us. I don't want to complain. It must be the best way, and we've got Jesus representing us as well if we believe in Him, so this is a good thing. Well, if you would just try to... Take it back to the simple. 
all he is trying to do. And we've wavered from that. All the Apostle Paul is trying to do is give this first line of defense. Substitution, representation by Jesus of the many is not unprecedented because Adam represented the many. And so you know what? That, that passage you love, Romans 5, 1 to 11, has a foundation. It, it's not a bad argument. It's not weak. It's not without, without footings. It's strong. And so it's been worth us looking at those things. He's building this theological foundation so we have a stronger joy and a stronger hope that we learned about in the first 11 verses. Now we move on to a second line of defense for the representative nature of Jesus' saving work, and that is representation by Jesus is far superior to Adam. It is far superior to past representation. So he's going to make this point through a series of these, these, these blessed declarations, I might call them. He gives this series of, uh, of declarations that are essentially saying the same thing, but he just is making the contrast and the point that, you know what, we were represented by Adam, and it led to bad things. We're represented by Christ, and it leads to, to life. It leads to, 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 to justification. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. He is so much better, the second Adam, than the first Adam. That's all he does here. So let's go ahead and start looking. Very easy to understand. Very easy to interpret. Verse 15 says, But the free gift is not like the transgression. Remember, there was a just as. There's a lot of similarity, but he says there's a huge, huge difference as well. It's not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, capital M, appropriately, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The contrast is great. He wants us to see the great contrast in verse 15. We have the grace of God abounding in Christ. This is, this is excellent. Christ is so much better as the second Adam. Verse 16 then says, in another blessed contrast, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. And I underlined resulting in condemnation and then underlined resulting in justification. What a huge contrast. Then he gives another blessed contrast in verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And that, that is off the charts fantastic because we have death reigning, but then he doesn't just say we have life reigning, he goes on to say this abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign. Those who receive will reign. So we have death reigning, then we have we, us reigning. Because we've received the splendid, magnificent grace from God through Christ, our second representative. And so again, this is all designed to be bolstering up the significance and the truthfulness of our great and beloved first 11 verses. 
Because we have a better representative. And His name is Christ. He is the second Adam, the better Adam. He did what the first Adam couldn't do. The first Adam should have loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he failed miserably as our representative. And the second Adam does all of those things to the point where even the Father says, from heaven, I am well pleased with Him. He's our representative. And so we have reigning with Him. We have such a great thing in Christ. And then verse 18 says, So then, as through one transgression, notice there's similarity, as with each of these, there, is, there resulted condemnation to all men, but there's contrast too. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Again, condemnation, justification. There's a lot of like, there's a lot different is what he wants us to keep seeing over and over again. I say thanks be to God for what he says there. The one act of righteousness. I love that. I just love the way that even sounds in this context. I love the way that speaks to my own heart. The one act of righteousness. It's fantastic. We've got the one act of unrighteousness. Adam leading us into sin and look what's happened as a result. And then he says... The one act of righteousness. And, I, and no doubt he's using that, that simple, profound phrase to, to put his arms around everything that Christ would do. The one act of righteousness, shorthand for Christ's life, which is no small thing. Christ's death, no small thing. Christ's resurrection, no small thing. And he refers to it as the one act of righteousness. It's fantastic. Oh, yes, there's a lot of similarities between the first Adam and the second. But, oh, yes, you'd better, better make sure you see. And we all see there's a huge difference. A phenomenal difference between the two. One act of righteousness. I even just like to say it. There resulted justification of life to all men. Before we move on, I just would point out to you what I think is obvious, but perhaps not. We would be far short-sighted if we read this, okay, we have the justification of life to all men, as in Christ died, and now we have universalism and everyone is justified. Context, context, context. He expects us to remember Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 1, uh, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5, even chapter 5 verse 1, we're talking about justified by what? By faith. It's not auto-justification. Justified by faith. So really what's being talked about here, and he's assuming we can read things in context because that's how literature's meant to be read. Adam brings condemnation to all he represents which would be the whole human race. Jesus brings justification to all He represents. And according to the context of Romans, that would be those who believe. So we need to remember to read our Bibles in context and not build some sort of doctrine uh, ignoring other passages which wouldn't be ethical. Those Adam represents, those Christ represents, the meaning is pretty simple and clear. As one person said, the second time he's referring to the many who believe. 
all people insofar as they relate to Adam are sinners and insofar as they relate to Christ are righteous. And that's well put. Well, just in case we're thick skull, uh, verse 19 says essentially the same thing as 18. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple, pretty clear, but it's meant to be profound. This is something we don't want to miss. He just keeps saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again in slightly different ways so that we see that Christ is a better representative, that God in His perfect wisdom, even in calling Him the second Adam, is fixing what was so messed up by the first Adam which just causes us to praise God for His wisdom even more so. And now let's come to a third, and we can do this one rather briefly, a third line of defense for the representative nature of Jesus' saving work should cause us to to love Christ and have joy in Him even more so. Representation by Jesus does not overlook the law. Does not overlook the law. Or is not forgetful of the law. Now, based upon what happens in between verses 19 and 20, interpreters make an assumption, and I think it's a valid assumption. You know, we don't know what all the questions uh, <clears throat> the Romans uh, had for Paul were. We don't know what all the issues uh, were specifically that he had to deal with, but what we do have is Romans, and he addresses all of these issues. And so it's not very hard to read between the lines to say, this must have been a question, this must have been an issue. Or Paul just knows he's talked to enough people by now, because he's lived long enough as a Christian by now, to expect questions and objections. And it seems that this next statement that is given is making an assumption of this kind of question. And that is that inquiring Jewish minds want to know. Inquiring Jewish minds want to know, what about Moses? What about the law? I mean, you've, you've gone from Adam, we, we understand Adam theology as Jews, to Jesus. You know, even Jewish Christians might be wondering, how do, how do, you, how do you do this? You spent all this time on these issues. How do you go from Adam to Jesus? Did you just forget about Moses? Some Jews are, are going to value Moses so much, and I'm not going to say all of them because I think that would be an overstatement, but some of them are going to so value Moses and the law that's given to Moses, they're going to so value Mount Sinai that they actually think that God gave the law to save them. That's the solution. Oh, yes, we have a tragic train wreck in Adam. But you know what? God provides a solution in the law. God provides a solution in in, in Sinai, at Sinai. No doubt Paul is is anticipating something like that. And he's he's in effect saying, no, 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 no. I I didn't forget about Sinai. Look what he says. Verse 20. The law came in. Let me talk about the law. And I'm stopping there just to point out what, what, what grammarians and, and New Testament scholars point out. And that is the law came in 
probably isn't an outright slam. But it's certainly talking about something that was added. It's not giving it prime importance like the Jew would want to have it possess. Oh yes, I'll talk about the law. The law came along. The law came in. The law was added. A little bit of a slight. It doesn't hold prime importance here. Then he goes on. Look at verse 20 where he says, so that the transgression, the law came in, so that the transgression would increase. (laughs) That's a shocker if you think anything even close along the lines of the law saves. Oh yes, the law came in. And the law came in has many purposes, no doubt, but here's one purpose, so that the transgression would increase. Probably not what you were thinking. Yeah, the law came in all right. The law was added all right so that the transgression would increase. What's particularly interesting about that is he says the transgression. He's been using that same verbiage to talk about Adam's transgression. So I think there's no reason to conclude that it's anything other than that here. Oh yes, the law was added. The law came in. Why? So that the transgression, the transgression, Adam's transgression as your representative would increase. In other words, it was added to show what a cosmic disaster Adam was as the representative of the human race. Because he goes on to say in verse 20, but where sin increased, because that's what happened. Then he says the good part, grace abounded all the more. And I I guess we need to get to that, but before we get to the grace part, sin increased. So God adds the law and he's now going to spell out for people, in a sense what he spelled out for Adam, and now he's spelling it out for all of the people. Do this, don't do that. And they didn't do this, And they did that. (laughs) Okay? It was a disaster. And you know what that does? That just magnifies the failure of Representative Adam. That just shows that that was indeed a train wreck. That shows that it was an absolute disaster. And people have been sinning ever since. Representation, the representative work of Christ, doesn't forget about the law. In fact, it serves as a way of exalting Christ. Because the law showed the disaster of the first representative, and then it goes on to say in verse 20, I'm sorry I already read it, but let's go and read it again, grace abounded all the more. This was just a great platform to show how great Christ is. A great platform to show how great a representative Christ is. He's going to save the day. He's the Savior, not the law. He is. It's all about Him. He's the superior one. He is the great one. Grace is abounding all the more. And then the purpose for the grace abounding is spelled out for us in verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
We've got the reigning of sin and death, and now we have grace reigning through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I I couldn't help but highlight and underline death and eternal life. Adam, death, law, death, Jesus Christ, life, eternal. Huge distinction. Huge separation. Major difference. In Christ, the grace of God reigns. In Adam, death reigns. Even when you add the law, death reigns. But it's designed to point toward God's ultimate plan in the ultimate Adam. Life reigns. He will fix what the first one messed up. And He will fix it acting on our behalf for us. It's fantastic. You know, this last verse, verse 21, looks a lot like, and it's meant to look a lot like, it ends on this high point of great thrustful praise. It looks a lot like verse 11 did. I think it's intentional. Verse 11 ends on this high note about how we exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've received the reconciliation. It's this high point. And now what he's done is he's just gone deeper. Dealing with arguments, dealing with foundations. Also, he can just come back to that place where he was in verse 11. And that's exalting Christ. And your hope is secure in Christ. and, and, And your certainty is certain, if you will, in Christ. It is, in fact, all about him. He's the justifier. He's the great one. The imputation of Adam's sin is a complicated matter. It's a complicated passage. Like I've already said, I'd love to give you books and articles. But please, don't discount discount the scholarship and the need to know what some of the issues are. But please remember the emphasis over and over again on sin, 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 sin. If I'm not up to ten, I'll add one more sin. Is all designed to show us how great Christ is because He represents us in righteousness as Adam represented us in sin. It ends up being about Him and it's to be Christ-exalting. And so I'm going to encourage you, read Romans 5.12 in context of 1-11. to But as soon as you read 5.12, at least in the short run, drop down to 18 and 19, understand it, go back and pick up the pieces. And what that should do is cause you to have greater joy because you can have greater confidence in the Christ of Romans 5.1-11 to that makes those great promises. We need to be done for this morning. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a complicated, significant passage like this. Thank you for the second Adam who leads us in victory. Thank you for the great grace that reigns through the righteousness that He and He alone gives. That He did everything necessary outside of us, separate from us, but for us, just as it was with Adam. Lord, help us to see past trivial arguments about fairness and somehow questioning You for acting like God. And help us to see the great riches and the splendor of Christ 
and the great grace and the great mercy and love that is found in Him shown by You. Lord, may we have joy that is deepening, that causes us to want to exalt Christ like never before. In Jesus' name, amen.